0: Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, April 2nd, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike, preaching from Luke 19 on a Sunday to Remember. Jesus rode into Jerusalem, praised and worshipped, as he is worthy of, on a Sunday. And on that Sunday, it was a full day, that was a Sunday to remember, because of all that happened on that day. He was praised and worshipped as the king that he is. And then, later in the day, he came into the city, and had a moment of reflection, and he wept over the city. Then as he continued on into the city, and came to the temple, he found there the money changers that he had run out at the beginning of his ministry, they were back, and he ran them out again, cleansed the temple, and then before the day was over, he healed many broken lives. And all the day ended with another chorus of praise, this time by a children's choir, the Bible tells us. The kids showed up, and the kids sang a song and praised Jesus on the end of that first Sunday. It was a Sunday to remember. Now let's reflect upon it in Scripture as it presents it to us. We'll begin in Luke chapter 19, and uh, the rest of the the day will be seen in Matthew chapter 21. First, Luke chapter 19. We'll begin reading in verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, And they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. A Sunday to remember. It all began with Jesus Changing their worship. Sunday was just an ordinary day of the week for them. This was the Passover feast and that typically did last an entire week. There were some things that happened before the day of Passover and then it continued for a few more days after that. But the Sunday before was no special day. But Jesus made it a special day. Jesus changed worship forever as he came here a, in a preview kind of a way to show that Sunday now was going to have some significance, but then later as he arose from the dead on Resurrection Sunday, he showed that this is the day that now he was going to be worshipped for the life, the eternal life that he had come to give. So that's why we have changed the day of worship from Saturday, as it was in the Old Testament, to Sunday today. Today. It wasn't just because we wanted to mix things up, or we were busy on Saturday. It's because of what Jesus did. Amen. Jesus changes our lives, and he has the right to do that. Amen. And number one, what we see here is Jesus came into town, He changed everything. Number one is he changed our worship. And he changes that for us today. You see, we all worship someone or something. what What do we worship? Whom do we worship? The thing or the person that you value most, that's what you worship. A car, a house, a boat, a lot of money, a person, an experience, all can have more value and honor in our life at times than the Lord does. And when that happens, we become worshipers of something else than God. And Jesus wrote into town to show us that only he is worthy of worship. And he received this worship as they called out to him and blessed him for who he is and what he had done. He received it. The Pharisees said, rebuke your disciples, it's not right. And he said, if they don't cry out, the stones are going to cry out because it's right. So Jesus came to show us how to worship in the right way. And the right way to worship is to worship with Jesus at the center as the object of our worship, and then worship him for who he is and for what he has done. That's what the people did on this occasion. Look again at verse 37. It says that they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Jesus had just healed or raised Lazarus From the dead, that just happened before he came to Jerusalem. And many of the people, John's gospel tells us, many of the people that saw that event or heard about it in that area came to Jerusalem just to see Jesus and to see Lazarus because he was there. That's part of what Jesus had done that they were worshiping him for. He had just come through Jericho, and there, Luke chapter 19 is where we're at, there's where Zacchaeus met the Lord and he was saved. And then Jesus, while he was there in Jericho, the other Gospels tell us, he healed two blind men, one on the way in one on the way out. And so all these people have heard about this. So he's opening blind eyes. He's raising the dead. And and they came to see him and to worship him for all that he had done and for who he is. that's verse 38. They praised his majesty. Blessed is the king. That's the title found so often in the Old Testament as a title of the Lord God Almighty. And Jesus is praised as the king because he is God come in the flesh. There's his majesty. But they also praised him for his ministry because he's one who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, when a king, the great king, a king who's worthy of all honor is to be worshipped, normally we his subjects and servants, we go to him, right? That's the proper way. We go to him. We come. But here it says that he comes to us. See, that's his ministry. That's his humility. That he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came not to to be served, but to serve. And here we see the great humility of the Lord. And the picture here is very graphic. That he came in riding on a low animal. The text tells us that he sent two of his disciples ahead of him and they had donkey duty. No no job in the kingdom of God is insignificant. They were sent to go get a little donkey and I imagine on the way they were thinking, what in the world are we going to be doing with this donkey? But they went. They were obedient. And uh, it says that no man had ever ridden on that donkey. And I take that to inform us of the fact that it was very, very young. See, it says it, it's a cult. It was a baby donkey. And no one had ever ridden on this baby donkey. It was brand new. And here, Jesus in his humility is not coming in like all the other rulers and world leaders would come in. They would have come in on a chariot. They would have come in on a Large white horse. They would have come in with flags waving and trumpets blaring, but Jesus comes in riding on a little miniature horse. His feet probably bumping the ground as he comes through. Not in some big limousine with flags flying, he comes in on a little moped. (laughs) And he did that on purpose. Zechariah chapter 9 predicted it. It was a part of God's plan that he was going to come in on a donkey on the foal, a colt, a foal of a donkey. It was intentional to show that not only was he majestic, but he had come to give his life for us. What a Savior we have to worship. He came to bring heaven's peace into our present. He came to bring... the the highest glory, into our future. That's what they were praising him for. It was worship as it was intended. And it was all because Jesus showed up. And that's the way it should be in our lives today. As we spend our week living, praying, trusting, serving, working, loving, all week long as we do that, invest our life In the world, we should come back to God's house on Sunday and we should come ready to just to open up our hearts and praise God for what he's done in our lives and what he does in other people's lives because he's the king. Every Sunday should be another triumphant entry for the Lord Jesus Christ. He changes our worship. He makes it something that's real and lasting. Now the people that had come here, some of them had showed up out of obligation only. This is the Passover time when they were obligated to come and so here they came. It was an obligation. There were some here, the Pharisees, verse 39, had come for confrontation. They were there trying to stop it. But there were some there that were there for adoration. They were there to worship. And that's why we come. that's what we're here for today. And we should make sure that this this Sunday is never, and really any other time of our worship, is never about ritual, but it's about relationship. That's the way it was for these folks. Uh, this laying down of palm branches and, and putting their clothes out and bringing Jesus in with a chorus of praise, that was never done in the Old Testament feast. It was not done for any individual. That would have been blasphemous. But here they were doing it in a spontaneous offering of praise to the Lord because they have been touched by Him. They've been changed by Him. Our worship is based on relationship, not ritual. Now I want to explain something practical here at this point and make this application. Uh, This is why we as, as Christians, as evangelical, conservative Baptist Christians do not have a lot of ritual. Connected with our Easter celebration. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an Easter pageant and the kids getting, uh, you know, dressed up and folks doing things, and we, you know, put on a play or we have some kind of special event to learn more and understand more and present the gospel to other people. But so much of the religious world has made this time of the year particularly all about ritual. And uh, over the last 40 days, you have some friends, I have some friends who have participated in what's called Lent. Why don't we do Lent? Are they more spiritual than us? You know, some may think that, wonder that. But Lent simply is a Latin word for 40. It means 40 days before Easter, you give up something, you fast. And you fast because Jesus fasted. Why don't we do that? They, they start it with Ash Wednesday in which they take ashes from the palm trees that were burnt the year before and they make a little funny looking mark on their forehead, make a cross. And they wear that all day long. That's what starts it. And then it ends this week. And they decide they're going to give up chocolate or give up playing golf or give up whatever as, as a way to show their dedication. Why don't we do this? Well, I'm going to give you two quick reasons why. And they're the application from the text that we have right here. That's because our our worship's not based on rituals, it's based on relationship. Number one is, we do not need rituals to make ourselves more pleasing or accepted by God. We don't have to fast to accomplish something that God's going to accept us based on. We have to trust in the one who fasted and the one who gave up everything for us. That's what gets us accepted before God. Not anything that we do. That's why we don't engage in all kinds of ritual. Because you can start going down the ritual road and there's no stopping that. There's no end to it. And, and the religious world has piled ritual on top of ritual. To where it can become something that's just outward. And it's just going through the motions. And there's no relationship involved in it. So that's not why we don't practice Lent, or Ash Wednesday, or all the other stuff that goes on. Now, fasting can be a healthy thing for our spiritual walk. Jesus commended it. He just put some rules on it. And uh, fasting from time to time can help us to, to have more time for prayer, to die to ourselves. To get closer to the Lord, there's nothing wrong with that. We should do that as the Spirit leads us, but this is the difference. We fast according to the Spirit, not according to the calendar. As born-again Christians, we give up stuff all the time as the Spirit leads us. And we die daily. And we give up stuff all the time so that we can have time for prayer, not just around this time of the year, but all the time so that we can live for the Lord and give Him all that we can. So that's number one, is that we don't live according to ritual. We we live before the Lord based on relationship. The second reason why we don't practice Lent and the other rituals is that actually Scripture f- forbids that. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Lord's own words, <clears throat> He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. So scripture forbids it. And it's because we can easily get wrapped up in ritual that we begin to not focus on relationship. So this is how Jesus has changed our worship. He's made it simple. He's made it spiritual. He's made it centered around him, not us. It's not about what we do. If we trust in our works, it only leads us to doubt. Amen. If we trust in his works, it anchors us in hope and ensures And so we must never sink back into the ritual of, of the past. Many are trying to do that today. And there's a better way. It's the way of the Spirit. It's the way of the Lord. And we must always keep our Sundays and all of our times of worship as a time to remember rather than a time to regret. So that's number one. He changed our worship and the next couple of points will go much quicker, I promise. The next thing that happened on the day is that Jesus wept over the city. Look again in Matthew chapter um, 9, or Luke chapter 19 says as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it saying if you had known even you especially in this, your day the things that make for your peace But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Number two, Jesus changes our weeping. He gives us a heart for the right things. Now nobody else was weeping at this moment because nobody else saw what Jesus saw. He evidently looked into the future and 40 years from this time right here, three days before Passover, 40 years in the future, the Roman army will begin to besiege the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. It's a historical fact. Three days before Passover, in this very same week, Jesus saw it all happening. And he saw them being destroyed, and their children. That's why he was weeping. He saw lives and souls being destroyed. And he couldn't help it. And this is a strong word for weeping in our text. We know John eleven thirty-five, 35, right? Our favorite verse to quote when we can't think of anything else. Jesus wept. And that word for weeping there in John chapter 11 means to shed tears. It means to... You know, have tears rolling down your face, but you're not really weeping out loud. This word here in Luke chapter 19 is loud weeping. It's Jesus wept over souls. He just couldn't keep it from pouring out. That's the kind of weeping that comes from the heart of God. There's nothing wrong with weeping. When we were children, we wept over certain things. I remember weeping over uh, toys, you know, that uh, I didn't get to play with or didn't get to take home from the store. Sometimes we weep, we wept because we were selfish. I remember weeping when I was sick one time. we get up in the middle of the night, you know, and I didn't feel good and just walking into Mother and Daddy's room and just, <laughs> just you know, it all came out. The tears, not anything <laughs> <clears throat> Then there were times when, later in my life, that I wept over other things, better things. Over the loss of life, loss of a friend. Wept over, and have wept, and still weep weep over some souls that I know are not saved, that I care about. There's nothing wrong with that. Once we worship and really in tune with the Lord, we get his heart, and his heart breaks over the loss of life and over the loss of souls. And that's what Jesus was weeping about here. And if you will walk with him and you will worship him, you will begin to weep over the things that he weeps on. Let me ask you a question. What do you weep over? What kind of things do you weep over now in your life? Do you ever weep in worship services? If we're in the presence of God and we know His heart, then we should weep over what He weeps over. The Bible says, Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's God's heart. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you're weeping over someone or something that's a burden to you, that that the Lord changes our weeping. And the scripture tells us that he will even change our weeping into reaping. Listen to Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We have to accept this by faith. As we're weeping over people and over souls. Sometimes it seems like there's never going to be a breakthrough. But the Bible says he can even change our weeping into reaping. And we have to believe that. And we have to keep trusting and sowing. And Jesus indeed, even though he wept over the city and the city was destroyed in A.D. 70, out of, the, out of, the, out of this city became those that took the gospel to the world. And God's not done yet with Jerusalem. He's brought his people back and they're, they're, they're becoming the, uh, the center of the world again and, and everybody's talking about what's happening in, in Israel and makes the news every single day and before it's all over, God's going to bring his people back and he's going to cause rejoicing to be heard in Jerusalem again. Amen. Jesus wept. But Jesus is going to rejoice one day as he walks in this city again. And he will, literally and physically. And when he comes in, he'll never leave again. So Jesus changes our weeping. The day's not over. Jesus then, next cleanses the temple, verse 45. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is, is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of these. Now, he had already cleansed the temple once, and I think that's why he really was aggravated now. He was aggravated the first time, but uh, they didn't get it, and they came back, and, and he came in, and he cleansed the temple again. And, and in this, we're seeing that he changes our wickedness. You cannot worship the Lord and serve him and do things for him if things aren't right on the inside. As you come here and you sit in this seat and you worship and you try to sing these songs, you can only go so far if things are not right on the inside. But if things are not right on the inside, you really can't be for the Lord what maybe you want to be or what he wants you to be. And that's why Jesus cleansed the temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have to be whole on the inside if we're going to be right with him. And be right for him. So that's why Jesus cleansed the temple. They had made this temple, which was a house of prayer, into a house of profit. They were breaking people's lives as they came to the temple, came to church to worship, and they left more broken than they came. And Jesus couldn't stand it. Jesus will change. Everything about your life, so that you're fruitful for Him. The last thing that, that the Scripture shows us that happened on that day is in Matthew chapter 21, and that is that He healed the broken people that came to the temple. It's really interesting. The Bible says that um, as He cast out the money changers and all those that operated that business. <clears throat> It is then Matthew 21 verse 14 says that then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. It's like the blind and the lame were standing outside peering in through the the door watching what was happening when they they saw Jesus scatter everybody that was keeping them out. They said let's go. (laughs) Let's go in there. See, the Pharisees, it said the blind and lame could not come in the temple. But there's no law in the book of Moses, in the books of Moses, that teaches that. They couldn't bring a blind or lame sacrifice. But blind and lame people were welcome to come. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And they were keeping people out. And Jesus changed that. They came in. He laid his hands on them, and the Bible says he healed them. He heals broken lives. Now my time's about gone, but I want to tell you something very, very important. And that is that the Lord does heal us of all of our brokenness. Amen. That's the changes He makes. He makes it in our temple. The Bible says, Psalm 103, that He heals us of all our diseases. You saying, brother Mike, that He heals us of every sickness? Yes, He does. Eventually. That's the key. It's not going to happen necessarily next Tuesday morning. But every one of God's people, every one that are a temple of the Holy Spirit, He comes into that temple and He changes it in every way. Not only brokenness on the inside, but brokenness on the outside. Let me tell you real quick how the Lord heals us of all our diseases. I believe Psalm 103 is correct. And I think what it means is that eventually the Lord will heal every one of our broken bodies that are, that are sick at times and eventually will die. The Lord will heal us every single one of us. Here's four ways He heals. Number one, He, he has preventative healing. God has put within us germ-fighting cells that are working every single day and of all the thousands of sicknesses and germs that can invade our body, all those germ-fighting cells in our body he put within us at birth, they go to work. And we are delivered from sickness every single day and we don't even realize it. And I call it God's preventative healing. So yes, he heals us sometimes when we don't even realize it. But then sometimes those sicknesses do get past our... Uh, immune system, defense, and uh, we get sick. We come down with a a cough, a, a cold, or something worse. And then we are blessed with God's providential healing. That is, he's already put within this world, in this earth, chemicals and natural resources that once we bring them together in the right measure and we apply them in the right situation, it helps us feel better. We call it medicine. And the skill and wisdom that God's given doctors over the years and the technology that we've had to come to the surface has helped us to, to be healthier. And this is God's providential healing. We're blessed to live in the modern era that we are in. And it all comes from God's healing power. But even beyond that, sometimes we do come down with Difficult, terminal illnesses, unless God intervenes, then it's going to end sadly. But on occasion, God grants his His powerful healing. That is a miracle. Do you believe that God still does miracles today? Yes, I believe that. When he decides it's for his glory and for our good, there are times where he does heal from cancer. There are times where he does heal from terminal disease. And just because he's good and he loves us, he heals us on occasion. But even people that are healed will eventually come down with something that will take them to the grave. All of us. The wages of sin is death. All of us. Eventually. The rapture doesn't come first. All of us. We'll grow old and sick and weak and we'll die. And at that moment, when we're laid in the grave and our spirit rises victorious and we are in heaven and just in a twinkling of an eye we receive that glorified body, when that comes, we'll receive God's perfect healing. The Lord our God does heal us of all our diseases. It doesn't happen all at once, but it happens surely. Because the Lord changes everything. And we have to trust Him. We trust Him with our lives. We lay our lives down like these people laid their coats down. And we we lay everything in our life down before Him. We say, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, come and change my life. As we have an invitation this morning, I want to ask you, does the Lord need to change your life? Are you broken? Are you blind? Are you lame? Are you empty? Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.